Welcome to Naked Astronomy, a space science podcast from the Naked Scientists. This season, we're tackling the big questions from our very big universe. That means that each episode, I, Ben McAllister, and me, Adam Murphy, will take a look at one of the biggest cosmic questions in the world of space science and astronomy today. We'll break down the basics for you and then pull in an expert guest for a more in-depth chat. It's actually a little worse than that. (laughs) Because um, it turns out the true vacuum space, the space that would is what would happen inside the bubble, that's also gravitationally unstable. So once you're inside the bubble, once the bubble passes over you and destroys all your atoms and everything, then you collapse into a black hole. So, good times. <laughs> this is a brand new season of Naked Astronomy, so welcome to our first episode. We hope you're excited to crack into it with us. Also, please get in touch with us along the way at Naked Astronomy or at The Naked Scientists on Twitter, or leave us a comment or a like on YouTube or wherever you're listening. But without further ado, let's get into it. What's the question we're tackling today, Ben? Nothing too big to get started, just a simple one really. How will the universe end? Well, that sounds straightforward. Let's get into the basics. For as long as there have been human beings, we've wondered where we come from and where we're going. Long have we looked to the skies for answers, for a deeper understanding of the origin of the universe. For millennia, debate has raged. Does the universe even have a beginning, or is it static and eternal? Different scientists and philosophers have believed different things at different times throughout history. And then, about a hundred years ago, things changed. It was the golden age of astronomy, an amazing era where fantastic new instruments like radio telescopes, combined with new detailed mathematical theories of cosmology, enabled us to develop a deeper understanding of the universe. In the 1920s, Edwin Hubble made the critical, historic observation that the universe was expanding in every direction at all times. This observation, combined with some theory, led to our most popular model of the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang. According to the Big Bang Theory, about 13.8 billion years ago, all of the matter in the universe was condensed into an extremely hot, dense state that began to expand. Things were extremely chaotic and complex in the first tiny fractions of a second of the universe's history. We don't really understand what was happening, since the fundamental laws of nature that we understand today were still developing. A short time into history, a period of extremely rapid expansion known as inflation occurred, which lasted about 10 to the power of minus 32 seconds. After inflation, the universe's growth slowed considerably for about the next 10 billion years. But lots of interesting things were still happening in that time. Over the first second of the universe's life, as it cooled, the fundamental particles which we are familiar with today all froze out of the primordial energy bath. Tiny particles called quarks started fusing together to make protons and neutrons, and there were a bunch of electrons kicking around as well. Over the first few minutes, some of the protons and neutrons started fusing together to create the first atomic nuclei, leaving us with things like hydrogen and helium and a small fraction of heavier stuff. Now, just a few minutes after the Big Bang, it's still much too hot and there's much too radiation kicking around for atoms to form. We have atomic nuclei, protons and neutrons smushed together, but the electrons are still largely free and there are tons of photons around, which are particles of light. This continues for a long time, 400,000 years. The universe continues to expand and cool and eventually it reaches a point where it's cool enough for atoms to form. That is to say, electrons can be captured by the nuclei which were formed and we end up with full, proper, honest-to-goodness atoms. 
Albeit only very simple light ones, nothing fancy like metals just yet. Prior to this time, photons of light couldn't travel around freely because there were too many electrons kicking around in free space, and they would always bump into each other and interact. But now that the electrons have been captured by the atoms, the photons can travel far and wide and the universe becomes transparent. At this point, gravity starts to play a huge role in the evolution of the cosmos. Due to the force of gravity pulling together any two objects which have mass, the early matter starts to be drawn together into clumps. As the matter continues to get closer and denser, it heats up. This matter is almost entirely hydrogen and helium, and eventually the temperature and the pressure get to such high levels that something incredible happens. The matter ignites in a thermonuclear explosion. The first stars are born. These first stars are like massive nuclear furnaces, smashing together hydrogen and helium into heavier, more exotic elements. We aren't exactly sure when this happened, but we think it might have been about a hundred million or a few hundred million years after the Big Bang, so there's a long time between the formation of atoms and the formation of stars. And, due to the lack of light emitting objects in that time, astronomers call it the Cosmic Dark Ages. Anyway. Eventually these first stars ran out of fuel and died in enormous fiery explosions, called supernovae, scattering all the exotic matter that they'd so diligently created far and wide across the universe. And it's a good thing they did, because all the complex heavy matter that makes up things like planets and human beings was forged in the core of stars, if not these first stars, then one of their descendants. Around this time, over the 100 million to 1 billion year timescale, so much matter has coalesced in some regions that the first galaxies start to form. Cosmologists think that our own Milky Way was formed something like a few hundred million years after the Big Bang. And from the formation of the first stars and galaxies, the cycle continues. Stars are formed, they smash light elements into heavy elements, then explode and scatter their material across the universe. Then new stars form from that rubble. More and more galaxies continue to form, and on and on it goes. And then, about 9 to 10 billion years or so after the dawn of everything, a few stranger things start to occur. Firstly, a little rocky planet, which we'll come to call Earth, forms in one of the outer spiral arms of the Milky Way galaxy, made out of material that's been vomited out of the core of a dying star. This little planet cools, and eventually some weird chemicals start bubbling away in a primordial soup. And around the same time, in a cosmological sense, something even weirder happens. According to our observations, the expansion of the universe starts to accelerate again. So the universal expansion, which was so rapid initially and then gradually slowed down over the nine or so billion years that stars, galaxies and planets were forming, has been getting faster and faster over the last four billion years or so. It's a vaguely terrifying thought. Kind of like we're in a runaway train of a cosmos, growing at an ever-increasing rate. But what does it mean for the ultimate fate of the universe? Thankfully, we've brought in a proper expert, Dr. Katie Mack. In addition to being a theoretical cosmologist, Katie has just written a book called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. And she was good enough to sit down with us and talk about it. So there are several different ways the universe might come to an end, and... Some of them are so far in the future that it's very hard to even come up with terms to express those numbers. Others could, in principle, happen much sooner. So it, it just depends on where you think things are going. For the most part, there's, there's really 
no credible possibility for it to end before the Earth is destroyed by the expansion of the sun and, and so on. So it's this is not an immediate threat, but it's something that's, that's interesting to think about in terms of just kind of understanding our place in the universe and the narrative of everything. Uh, absolutely, but I'm glad to know that we humans will have met a probably uh, much fierier end by the time any of these things are going to occur. So. Thank heaven for small miracles. <laughs> yeah, we've only got we've only got about a billion years on this planet before uh, before it's entirely uninhabitable. So, you know, we should plan ahead at some some level. Yeah. Oh, if, if we make it that long. Yeah, yeah unless we do something bad. <laughs> yeah, so, something else happens. Okay, great. So uh, it sort of depends, mm. I guess, then on on how the universe is going to end. Well. I'm given to understand there are a few different major theories uh, about how the universe is, is potentially going to end. So could you talk us through what some of them are? In my book that I've just written, The End of Everything, I go through five different options, different ways that people talk about where things could go in the future. And the most common or most accepted version is called the heat death. And this is where the expansion of the universe that's currently going on now continues forever. So, you know, right now we see the distant galaxies are moving apart from one another and the whole universe seems to be getting bigger. There's more and more empty space. So if that just continues and keeps speeding up, which it appears to be doing now, then over time, everything will get farther apart. There'll be fewer interactions between galaxies, fewer stars forming, and everything kind of just fades away. The stars burn out, eventually matter decays, black holes evaporate, and you end up in a cold, dark, lonely, empty universe. And that's called the heat death. <laughs> and that Interesting that it's called the heat death when it seems more like a cold death. But... Yeah, so in this case, heat is used in the technical term to mean sort of disordered energy. And what's happening is that all that's left in the universe at the very end state is kind of the waste heat of everything in the universe sort of decaying and falling apart. So it's the, the descent into pure entropy, if you want to think about it like that. Sounds pretty boring, really. Like, the, <laughs> it's just slow fizzle out. of. It's definitely not the most exciting possibility. It's maybe the one that is least violent in some sense, but it's just a slow fade into black. And, you know, it is the most accepted. It's the most likely based on what we currently know about the expansion of the universe. But there are other possibilities. When we look at the expansion of the universe... For a long time, there was a question about whether the universe would continue expanding forever or stop at some point and everything would sort of turn around and come crashing back together. We think that's probably not going to happen because the expansion seems to be speeding up and it's not clear how it would turn around and stop. But whatever is causing the expansion to speed up, it's a mysterious something we call dark energy. And we don't really understand dark energy well enough to know that it's just going to keep doing what it's doing. And so if it were something that could change over time in a, in a certain way, then it could reverse the expansion potentially and create the conditions for everything to come crashing back together. And that's a process called the big crunch. That would be a very violent and fiery end for everything. So that's another possibility. And the, and the big crunch is something that was thought to be the most likely end of the universe for, for quite a while. Like in the 60s and 70s, people thought that that was most likely how we would go. So there's been a lot of research in terms of sort of what that would do to everything if it all comes crashing back together, which is fun to read about. Like a reverse Big Bang, I suppose. Like a, <laughs> some kind of uh, awful cacophony. 
Yeah, yeah. Except kind of worse because in, in a Big Bang, you just start in this sort of fiery, hot state. The universe is full of plasma and then everything expands and it cools. But in the case of the Big Crunch, you're not just going back to that same sort of hot plasma. You're not just compressing all the background radiation from the Big Bang. You're also compressing all the background radiation from all the stars that have ever shown. So it gets like actually much hotter as you're approaching a Big Crunch than, than it was the Big Bang. And so the coolest thing about the Big Crunch is that as the compression is happening, because you're compressing all this hard radiation and, and, and hardening it in the process, you actually get to a point where the surfaces of stars ignite because the, the radiation from just the background of space is so hot and you get these thermonuclear explosions all along the surfaces of stars. It's really awesome. So the, the space explosions themselves start exploding. Yeah, I mean, everything, like, the stars are at some point hotter on the outside than on the inside, and they just, like, everything is, and just empty space is hotter than stars at some point. <laughs> Whoa. It sounds like it'd be something to see if there were any human beings around to do so, which, of course, we know there won't be. Okay, so am I correct, then, in understanding that um, the fact that we think it's more likely to be the, the boring heat death as opposed to the big crunch is only something we've come to understand since we've had observational evidence for the fact that the expansion of the universe is accelerating? Well, so I think there was a while before the acceleration was discovered where it was looking more like the universe would continue expanding forever, but not speeding up. The speeding up is the weird part. Okay, so the idea that a universe could start with a big bang and then expand forever is not that weird. As long as the Big Bang is powerful enough and there's not enough gravity to slow it down and, and stop it, then, you know, a, a, an expanding forever universe is fine. Fine until the heat death. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's not offensive to physical sensibilities. But a universe that, that starts speeding up for no apparent reason, about 9 billion years into the story, that's weird. And that's that's why we need this extra ingredient we call dark energy. We need something to, to step in and cause the accelerated expansion so long after the Big Bang, when the universe had been slowing down, suddenly it picked up around 5 billion years ago, and it's been speeding up ever since. And that's weird. And if it's just a cosmological constant, just a, a sort of property of space, a term in the equations that Einstein wrote in there, then we know what's going to happen. It's just the universe will keep expanding forever. It'll keep speeding up. You'll get to a heat death. That'll be it. But uh, there are possibilities that, that dark energy could be something else. And I mentioned one of them could cause the expansion to turn around. There's also a possibility that the expansion could get way more extreme. So if you have dark energy that's in the form of something we call phantom dark energy, where it gets more powerful over time, then that can lead to what we call a big rip. Ooh, that sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is where not only does the dark energy sort of move galaxies away from each other, it also starts ripping them apart from the inside. And so over time, you'd get more and more dark energy, and the expansion of space would get more and more violent, and it would start to tear apart galaxies and then solar systems and then stars and planets and eventually even you know molecules and atoms and par particles themselves, and, and you would end in this fantastic big rip at some time in the future. Where what? You've just got individual particles just like scattered around, rapidly accelerating away from each other. 
What's technically happening in a big rip is that the dark energy is building up in every point in space. And so there's more and more of this expansion happening everywhere. And that's what that's what's able to do things like unbind galaxies and solar systems. But then at the very end, what's happening is that the scale factor of the universe goes to infinity. Now, the scale factor is a measurement of the distances between things, right? So the distances between galaxies or whatever. And we use the scale factor to measure sort of the size of the universe, how much it's expanded over time. And if the scale factor goes to infinity, that means that no matter how close together two points were, at the time the scale factor goes to infinity, they're infinitely far apart. <laughs> so, you know, that's really a, a kind of tearing apart of everything in space and, and space itself in some sense. It's like an infinitely large expansion of a finitely small distance, right? It doesn't matter how small you make it. It's anything times infinity is infinity. That's a high school, high school maths class when we all yeah. Yeah, and it's not clear physically exactly what that would do to everything, if you, if it would be such an influx of energy that you would have a, a big crunch or some kind of other horrific result. But in any case, it would be bad for the stuff in the universe. <laughs> so, Where would something like that start? Because rips generally need a weak point before they start. Is it just an everywhere kind of it's everywhere, yeah. So the expansion is uniform, right? And dark energy is everywhere. And so it would be in the same way that currently the expansion of the universe is happening everywhere. There's no center from which everything is expanding. The big rip would also happen everywhere. Now, there are sort of theoretical reasons not to like the big rip. All the theories that do a big rip kind of violate certain energy conditions that physicists think we probably need. But in terms of the data, you can't currently rule it out as being something that could happen hundreds of billions of years in the future. And the theoretical side is a little bit shaky. It's such a sinister name, isn't it? Dark energy. It sounds like some real sci-fi yeah. stuff, but I guess we're starting to see why it deserves that sinister name, because it's responsible for so many of these awful deaths. Okay, so heat death, big crunch, big rip. What else we got? So my, my personal favorite is called vacuum decay. So vacuum decay is, I sometimes think of it as sort of a manufacturer's defect in the universe. It's due to what might be an instability in sort of the structure of physics in, in our universe. So the laws of physics, the way that particle physics works, it's kind of all tied into the Higgs field, which is this kind of energy field that pervades all of space. And the Higgs boson is this particle that's connected to the Higgs field. And the Higgs boson was discovered at the Large Hadron Collider in 2012. It was a big triumph of theoretical physics to come up with this particle and then experimentally it was detected. And so it was, it was a big deal, right? And the Higgs field, basically it, it kind of sets the rules for particle physics. So it's, it's sort of this energy field everywhere. It has a certain value associated with it. In the very early universe, it had a different value and there were different particles, there were different forces of nature, things kind of fit together in a different way in particle physics. Then the Higgs field changed, set up the rules for particle physics as we have them now, and now we are able to have, you know, molecules and atoms and matter holds together and everything like that. And it's great, right? We, we like it this way. We want it to stay this way. We don't want the Higgs field to change again and rewrite the laws of physics and make atoms impossible, for example. But there's recent evidence based on measurements of the Higgs boson and other particles in the standard model of particle physics that suggest that maybe the value the Higgs field is at now is not the stable, most 
secure value it could have. Maybe there's another value that it would rather be at. And if it were disturbed in some sense, or, or if there were some kind of quantum transition somewhere in the universe, it would settle to that other value in much the same way that if you have kind of a bowl in a, in a valley or a boulder and it's at the top of the valley, it would want to roll down to the bottom. And maybe what's happened is that the universe is this boulder rolling around in this valley and it's got stuck in a little divot near the edge, but it's not at the bottom of the valley and it would rather be at the bottom of the valley. And so in some sense, the Higgs field is in this similar situation. It's in a little divot, but it would kind of rather be at the bottom. And if that's the case, then it's kind of only a matter of time till it gets there <laughs> because something could disturb it. That's a little complicated how to do that in our universe. It's, it's difficult to disturb the Higgs field, but our universe is fundamentally quantum mechanical. The Higgs field is subject to quantum uncertainty. Quantum tunneling is a thing that can happen where a particle can sort of suddenly appear on the other side of a barrier without having to go through. And that kind of uncertainty, that random motion, can happen with the Higgs field in such a way where the Higgs field at one point in space could just transition to this other vacuum state, this other value. And if that happened... And then all of a sudden, bye-bye atoms. Yeah, if that happened, then at that point, <laughs> yeah, you'd have, you'd have a little bit of space where the laws of physics are different. You're in what's called a true vacuum state. That would create a little bubble of this true vacuum state with different laws of physics. And that bubble would expand through the universe at about the speed of light and just destroy everything. <laughs> yeah, and that's called vacuum decay. And there's no way to know when it's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah, because it's a random quantum event. You wouldn't know when or where it would happen. You can only put probabilities on how long it would probably take. And based on our calculations, probably won't happen until 10 to the power of 100 years from now. So really long time from now. Okay, so the universe will probably be gone anyway by then, right? I mean, yeah, basically, like, by that time you're deep into the heat death, like, there's nothing left anyhow, whatever. But, you know, I mean, it's intriguing because in, in principle it could happen sooner. <laughs> it sounds kind of like a universe.exe has crashed and experienced a fatal error. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> So is, is it like basically like a number, if you like, that sort of sets like the strength of the interactions between, say, like the electrons and the, mm. the, the other stuff inside my body? And if that number just decided like, oh, I'm the wrong number, I want to be a different number, I'm going to change, all of a sudden I just cease to exist. It's actually a little worse than that <laughs> because um, it's, it's been calculated. It turns out the true vacuum space, the space that would is what would happen inside the bubble, that's also gravitationally unstable. So once you're inside the bubble, once the bubble passes over you and destroys all your atoms and everything, then you collapse into a black hole. So, good times. <laughs> Wonderful. Glad. Glad to know that that could happen. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather be a black hole than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A black sure. hole rather than just a bunch of scattered subatomic particles uh, hurtling through the void. Okay, so that's terrifying. The concept right, right, that right. Happen. It's like a... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's good. Um, and I guess that leaves one more of these possibilities that are presented in your book. Yeah. So the last one is, is really a set of different possibilities that all have characteristic in common, which is that they are uh, bouncing cosmologies or cyclic cosmologies. So theories where the universe could cycle from a Big Bang to some kind of ending and then back to a Big Bang over and over again. I talk about a few different possibilities there. Uh, somewhere you have a kind of compression and then a new expansion. Somewhere you have heat death and then a new, a new Big Bang after that. 
And there, there are just there's just several different ways you can have a new universe appear after after this one. And they're all a little bit more speculative because these theories are kind of newer and less developed. But uh, it's, it's an interesting possibility that, that maybe even if we're all going to die, like something will happen afterward that could be interesting. Yeah, that's kind of encouraging to know yeah. that maybe there will be something after whichever one of these horrible things occurs to us occurs. Yeah. So I, I've heard this this concept of like, a, if we're going to have like a big crunch, the idea that there might then be an expansion back out, like we're in some kind of massive pair of breathing lungs. <laughs> yeah, so it turns out that it's actually technically quite difficult to work out that that transition from from a, a crunch to a bang. But a few cosmologists have, have worked on that. There's an idea called the ekpyrotic scenario that's it doesn't have a crunch exactly. It does have a compression that then transitions to a new uh, new big bang and expansion, but it doesn't go to a singularity because it, it it's just very hard to work out how to bounce back from from that free collapse kind of big crunch scenario. But there there have been there have been examples of that that have been brought up as well. So I suppose the implication of that then is if we if we do have observational evidence for the Big Bang, believing we've come from a single point, then we would be pretty confident we're not in the aftermath of a prior Big Crunch. We don't know if there ever was a singularity in our past. And when we talk about the Big Bang, we usually talk about just the idea that the universe was hot and dense in the past and has been expanding ever since. The idea of a single point is kind of uncertain and probably not true, uh, because we know the Big Bang happened everywhere. It didn't happen at one point. And so there might have been a point of in infinite density, but still extended space. So that part, we, we just don't know. Okay, so we could be living in some kind of cyclical uh, universe now where we're, we're not special, we're just one of many, many cycles. We could be, yeah, yeah. And there are groups of people working on trying to find evidence or not for that scenario. Fascinating. So that's something we can potentially have evidence for one way or another? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the big the big effort in that area right now is trying to distinguish among all these various scenarios. How do people tend to react when you tell them the universe is going to end in these various horrific scenarios? I think that there's a, there's kind of a mix. You know, some people some people find it quite scary to think about the end of the universe. Some people find it sort of thrilling and amusing. And some people find it sort of comforting to know that whatever happens, it's not our fault. We, we fit into this larger picture and uh, it's kind of nice to think about things that are so separate from our daily lives. And the end of the universe is one of those things that's just very interesting and disconnected from us and still big and dramatic anyway. And that's it for our first episode in the new season of Naked Astronomy. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something, even if today was a little bit existentially terrifying. If you did enjoy yourself, please get in touch with us on social media, at Naked Astronomy on Twitter, or at Naked Scientists on whatever social media platform you like. Throw us a subscribe, leave us a rating or a review or a comment or a like. If you've got a big cosmic question you'd like to see us cover, you can send it our way. You can get me at adam at thenakedscientists.com. Or me on email uh, at benm at thenakedscientists.com or at Dr. B.T. McAllister on Twitter. And do join us next week where we are going to be talking about the largest telescope ever built, the Square Kilometre Array. This thing is going to span continents, but how does it work and what will it look at? We're speaking to the Director General of the project, Philip Diamond. Thanks again for listening. I'm Ben McAllister. I'm Adam Murphy. And keep watching the skies. Music in the program is sponsored by Epidemic Sound. 
perfect music for audio and video productions.